Hello and welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Cognified, the WPP Marketing Technology Consultancy. I'm Gemma Milne and once a month we're going to be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. We'll be delving into everything from what today's consumer really wants right through to the technology that feeds the experience economy and digital transformation. Whatever stage of the digital journey you're on, if you're in business today, this one is for you. Today, we're talking about the power of influence, and I'm joined in the studio by Stacey Newman, Senior Strategist at Creative Data and Technology Agency Wonderman Thompson, and Chloe Cox, Social Media Lead for their Centre of Excellence for E-Commerce. We're going to be delving into the reasons why millennials and Gen Z are trusting their peers and influencers over brands themselves, and how companies are changing their strategies to secure their attention and loyalty. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Stacey, I'd love to hear from you first. Um, so I'm Stacey. I work at Wonderman Thompson. I've been there five years, long time for agency land. Um, and I mainly do content and social strategy. Amazing. Chloe, let's hear from you. My name is Chloe Cox. I work for Wonderman Thompson Commerce. I've been there for two and a half years. Um, I currently manage the social media channels uh, globally for Wonderman Thompson Commerce and also I'm in charge of running some of our research campaigns and kind of odd marketing bits here and there. Love it. Okay, so this episode we're talking about from search to social and the power of influence. And um, I thought it was really interesting. According to Forbes uh, this year in 2020, actually, in the coming 12 months, 63% of brands are planning to increase their spending on influencer marketing, with 49% of consumers depending on influencer recommendations to make a purchase decision. What do we really mean by the power of the influencer, Stacey? Let's hear So, I mean, I think that there's twofold. I think that we had this amazing space about 10 years ago where there was really decreased trust with brands. And I think it came at a time when social media started blowing up and people started being able to take the, you know, make their own paths and create their own brands about themselves. Um, And people were getting trust from this peer-to-peer marketing, as they were calling it. And brands started to take notice. So they started to work with these influencers to start to build up that trust and credibility. Um, And as time went on, we started to um, unpack what it meant to be an influencer. And um, people started mirroring kind of what uh, they wanted their lifestyles to look look like, how it could become more accessible. And then in recent years, we've started to see the decline of the influencer. Um, I think it was uh, Lauren Goodyear. There was a whole expose last year um, about how she was working with brands that she had no idea about. You know, it started off as this kind of shiny place where brands were able to gain credibility and trust and authenticity. And now people are a bit more skeptical about kind of how brands are working with influencers. So we're seeing kind of this malleable approach to how we're working with them and where their value comes from. But I still think their value is coming from, you know, being authentic and showcasing a lifestyle that can become accessible. Chloe, do you have anything to add on that? Do you think that the sort of, the, the, the you know, the nowadays element of us working with influencers really has had that shift and, and what does it kind of look like for you? Yeah, so I think that influencers and influencer marketing is hugely important, especially actually for the younger generation. So we recently did some research looking at uh, six to 16 year olds and um, a sizable 55% of them said that they wanted to buy something because their favourite YouTube star or their blogger is uh, using or consuming it. Now, I therefore think that going forward, influencers have a huge uh, influence and value, especially in the world of commerce. But it's 
those types of influencers that you use. So when I talk um, often about influencers, I talk about the micro or the niche influencers, those that are a bit more authentic and those that are a bit um, less kind of celebrity endorsements. So I had a great example, actually, that I spoke about the other day. Johnson & Johnson, for their Clean & Clear range, used... Um, a load of teenagers to promote their clean and clear kind of like spot facial scrubs. Now that worked really well because obviously teenagers using the products are going to resonate with teenagers, their target audience. They're going to say, oh, look, they're, they're like me. They have the same skin problems as me. They're using the product. It must work. If you're using some big, high-profile celebrity that, let's face it, probably doesn't use it, then it's, it's, it's not going to have as much authenticity than, than using someone that's like-minded to the target audience. So I think there's definitely a role for influencers. I think they are really huge. Although we, lots of people might not want to talk about it, but when I... Uh, watched Love Island last year admittedly yes I did watch it <laughs> what was funny for me was when uh, Molly May came in and everybody asked her what she did and she says oh I'm an influencer like on Instagram and stuff and then we saw in the news it was like oh my god does that mean she's unemployed does she, is this awkward anybody find it really awkward that she says an influencer when actually if you if you look now I think the person that's probably laughing is her because she she has so much influence. Yes, maybe it might not be on necessarily the right platforms, but she's probably signed loads of fashion deals. She's doing great on Instagram. She's probably raking in a lot of money. And lots of people are resonating with her because, believe it or not, lots of people do watch programmes like this, uh, talent shows or whatever. So they, they resonate with her and want to buy what she's wearing because they think she looks cool and she's got a high profile. So I think it's just about the types of influencers that brands are looking at and working with. And I think you've just got to be really savvy and really careful with who you choose. I think um, you kind of touched on a point there that, you know, the question I sort of hear, particularly from people that are maybe not um, so online. I don't want to say the older generation because it's not necessarily mm -hmm. an age thing. Um, but this sort of, you know, what's the difference between an influencer and a celebrity? Absolutely. I'd love to hear what you guys think on, on that question, Stacey. I mean, I think influencers are becoming celebrities in their own right. Um, like Chloe was mentioning, it's becoming a viable kind of job opportunity for people. And that is where people are aspiring. It gives that flexibility to make your own way and to hustle in a way to work with brands that kind of emulate the lifestyle that you want to have. Um, I think why we turned to influencers originally away from the celebrities because of the price tag. And now we're seeing kind of influencers demanding these huge t price tags. So I know that when we talk about micro influencers and tapping into where does authority exist, um, you know, how we identify the difference between a celebrity and an influencer, I think that's really murky. I think they're interchangeable. Um, but when we look at an influencer versus a micro influencer that's where these are people who are active in conversations they might not have a platform where they're posting content themselves but they're nurturing these communities and they're fueling these conversations you mentioned earlier on this idea of micro influencers and yeah. kind of niche communities mm -hmm. and it seems to me that sometimes in the conversation around trying to get your brand marketed um the idea of niche is maybe not something that people are that interested in. They want these big, broad campaigns. They want loads of eyes. They want good numbers. And the power of community nowadays is not always understood so well by brands that are not already playing in that. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about the power of the, the micro-influencer, these niche communities, especially when it comes to, to online and social. Yeah, so I think that actually micro-influencers and niche-influencers are going to rise a lot more going forward. I think that's for numerous reasons, to be honest. I think that... 
brands uh, using micro-influencers will be able to connect with their target audience much better. I think it's an authentic voice. The likes of me and you want to see the products on the likes of me and you because they are going to be the users of the products. Yes, we might want to see big name celebrities in terms of awareness, but actually, are they really using the products and do we really kind of resonate with them as much as if we use these niche influencers? Probably not. Equally, I think with the rise of what we call re-commerce at Wonderman Thompson Commerce, which is one of uh, 20 key trends we we highlighted this year, is the influence and the notion of that peer-to-peer selling. So the likes of me and you can sell our products on kind of Facebook Marketplace, on Depop, and there are other platforms that we're seeing more and more. So 21 Buttons Store, for example. And I think that's helping these micro-niche influencers or those who want to become a little bit more entrepreneurial establish themselves in this kind of space because otherwise the only place you can go is Instagram and Instagram is saturated with all these influencers it's going to be really hard to kind of break through you're probably going to need a huge deal so if I wanted to become an influencer going straight onto Instagram is probably not going to happen if I then engage with some of these smaller platforms I could probably find my feet establish what it is that I am about and create this more niche following and I think that's going to going to help to accelerate a lot of people that that see this as a commercial kind of sense as well. If you think back to Amazon, for example, Jeff Bezos started by selling books using the United States Postal Service and now look where he is. So actually the likes of me and you who want to become more entrepreneurial in this space um, are really going to be able to break through with the notion of, of these new influences coming up. I think what's kind of interesting what you said about niche influences is these people who have groundswell or are early adopters and are really passionate about certain topics have so much to say about it. And that's when you get that, you know, insatiable interest that can really drive a conversation, that can really start to build a community around it. So if they become the epicenter of what you want to be speaking about, they can become the voice of your brand. And you alleviate a lot of the work from the brand point of view because suddenly the groundswell of these conversations are happening around you and you just have to kind of watch it flourish because you've tapped into someone who has a genuine interest in what you're what you're selling and that's so much more authentic as well because these people are actually interested in the product so they might be praising the product so much but actually they're so interested in it it's authentic whereas if you're if you're then telling a celebrity this is what you need to say on your instagram post it's probably not as authentic so consumers are going to resonate with these niche celebrities much more i think as well it's not just about um conversation or or interest it's also about expertise you know like I, i follow a lot of people who are freelancers because i'm freelance and it's always nice to hear about the latest things that are happening in the freelance world and you know, for instance, I was looking for insurance for one client and I saw someone tweet about a particular freelance insurance that they used and it was really easy and cheap and I immediately went and bought it. And I think it's 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 not just trust in terms of integrity, it's trust in the sense that the person actually understands the world you're in and it isn't this dissociated celebrity that's just being paid and isn't really playing a, an active role in communities, which is so important today, particularly online. We heard the amazing example from Johnson Johnson from you, Chloe. I'd like a couple more examples because I think sometimes it's hard to, if you're not already working with influencers or maybe you're not very active on Instagram or whatever, it's not something you're seeing and comes natural. So maybe let's have a couple of your favourite examples of where brands have done, you know, a really good job uh, working with influencers. So I think um, there's many levels. So there's aspirational influencers, there is accessible influencers, and then there's a blend of the two. Um, If I look at... um, 
aspirational. You're looking at, I, I mean, my favorite examples are always luxury fashion. It's, you know, something you aspire to. And I think Gucci does it really well. Um, they, I, I think I read somewhere that they have um, Gen Zs on this advisory board that telling them, you know, what's cool and what's not cool. Mm -hmm. um, but they work with influencers in a really long-term basis. They have what they're calling ambassadors. So if you see a celebrity like um, Florence and the Machine, who's draped head to toe in Gucci, um, we're seeing Billie Eilish as well. Um, they're aligning with people that they really want to encapsulate what the brand stands for and this aspirational lifestyle. And it becomes really um, repetitive in, uh, you're seeing it uh, in social media, you're seeing it kind of in street style. Um, so they're engaging with people long term and it's starting to tell a story of what the brand wants to stand for. But then you've got brands like Pretty Little Things who are making it really accessible. So like Chloe was mentioning, um, they, you know, leveraging Love Island stars and when they're coming off the show, they're doing capsule collections and collaborations. Uh, so I think in the fashion world, they've really harnessed this ability to use influencers um, in their own right, uh, not only from a kind of a spokesperson point of view, but as collaborators within the process. So I think when we see... Um, specifically fashion brands are uh, collaborating with these influencers and giving them the creativity to um, emulate you know, their style and what they stand for, it becomes really accessible. And then you can see a blend. Um, uh, one of my favorite examples is uh, Balmain. Uh, they had what they called the Balmain Army. Uh, they had all these uh, supermodels working um, working with them and they had the Kardashians as the face of of their campaigns. This is a fashion brand is it? Yeah Balmain. It's Oliver Roosting he's the designer for it and he's very much in the social media world he has these beautiful mod models on his arms and he calls them his Balmain army. Uh, so for one of his collections he had the uh, the Kardashians as the face of his campaign um, and then um, so that was really aspirational fashion and then they did a collaboration with H&M and they didn't have all the Kardashians as the face they just had um, uh, Kendall Jenner as the face but what that did is that aspirational brand that was quite unattainable really unaffordable uh, that had all of the Kardashians were uh, as the face of it uh, then went into H&M and it had Kendall Jenner and it made it accessible to the masses so it was a really nice strategy and transition into you know creating that aspiration and then giving it to um, giving access to people. Um, Chloe, from your perspective, I'd be interested to drill in a little bit. I think you mentioned earlier micro and niche um, mm -hmm. influencers. And I think one of the things I've I've heard questions a lot, particularly when we're talking about social media, um, is this idea of, you know, is it really worth going for something niche? You know, you're not yeah. getting, you're talking about H&M, we're talking about Pretty Little Things and, um, and, and Love Island. That's obviously mass audience, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, my response is always, well, God, I'm in loads of really niche communities and I listen to everything that uh, that people are referring to. But I'm curious, maybe from your, your perspective, examples or research, what does that kind of look like in terms of discovery yeah. in the process of, of finding things that are pretty niche versus, say, search, for instance? Yeah, I think that um, the kind of micro and niche influencers are actually going to become uh, much more important going forward. So um, just like Stacey said, I was going to say that in the style, um, pretty little thing, they they use influencers really, really well. But actually, one of my favourite ones is uh, the beauty blend Glossier. I don't know if anybody's heard of that, but they take a really interesting approach to influence marketing, whereby they use a lot of their user-generated content. So they uh, repost 
posts that their users are posting on uh, social media channels to promote their products. Now, user-generated content throughout is is a goldmine for brands because the likes of me and you want to see the products on the likes of me and you, not on, not always on these big high-profile celebrities. So the fact that they're using their users as their brand advocates, I think is really, really great, especially because the younger generation are also much more interested in sustainable uh, living or sustainable brands or brands that are doing good in the world. And they even wanted to work for a brand in the future that that gives something back to the environment. And I think, especially with, say, not maybe a, a, a fashion influencer, but say Greta Thunberg, she is a huge influencer, so to say, for that younger generation, pushing that sustainable kind of living. So I think that the rise of these peer-to-peer selling sites, so for example, I think there's some called Yerdle or The Real Real or 21 Buttons, I think that's going to allow people that are not a high-profile celebrity but want to get into this kind of influencer lifestyle, allowing them to break into the fold because otherwise you're going to have to do that on Instagram and that is so saturated with influencers. You're going to need to get some huge deal in order to get onto that platform actually how can you establish yourself in these communities with the the niche of following actually it's going to be through peer-to-peer commerce i think that's i think we're going to see that grow in the future a lot of the examples we've been speaking about have been related to sort of fashion and beauty and it sounds like predominantly Mm -hmm. uh, younger females um am i right in saying that that's the kind of the main group of consumers that brands are targeting or is it just that we so happen to be speaking about that (laughs) i mean it's quite interesting we did a report called the future 100 and there was two groups um that are kind of getting into focus uh one was singles um, so they have huge, uh, huge buy power. And there was a, a case study with uh, Alibaba in China. Uh, they had an influencer uh, live in the lead up to Singles Day. Um, I think uh, the vice president said they landed up converting sales of uh, one billion yen just from this influencer marketing uh, specifically targeted at singles. So I think in terms of consumers we're looking at singles um there also the report said older women and they have buying power so we're starting to see i know i keep on using fashion brands as as examples but iris atfill and um icon accidental these are these older uh, women who are starting to be represented and i think when we talk about representation we're seeing brands like skims fenty beauty having kind of a breadth of people that are being represented in um, their campaigns. So I think uh, Sinead Burke, she's a a, a dwarf influencer. We're seeing kind of accessibility around um, the representation of uh, disability within fashion. I know we did something uh, for Tommy Hilfiger. So I think that there is a move away from just having kind of these shiny, pretty models there definitely still is a focus around Gen Z and millennial marketing and all the clients that are coming to me do want to have a focus on that. But I think that is just to understand how they future-proof themselves and how they make sure that they are uh, relating to an audience that will have buying power in the future. So, Chloe, I know that Wonderman Thomas Commerce have done some research around the rise of social in the discovery phase. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's kind of interesting here, where before we were talking about search being really, really important yeah. and making sure that people find what they're looking for whereas with influencer I think the tendency is maybe to think that it's a bit random that you know you're maybe not finding what you need so tell us a little bit more about some of the the research you did and kind of that shift from from search to influencer as it were yep so we have found that social media is becoming an increasingly important part of the customer journey specifically at the beginning
beginning. So our Future Shopper report last year in 2019 um, highlighted that social was going to be one of the fastest rising avenues, especially for the millennial and the Generation Z customer. I think it was about 49% of 16 to 24 year olds look for their inspiration to purchase on social channels. Now that's huge. That's nearly 50%. They're going straight on the likes of Instagram to, to inspire them to see what they want to purchase. So the fact that this is happening means oh what what's it going to be for the likes of say google who is a search engine and now we're going straight onto instagram i think that also means it's going to be uh difficult and interesting for brands and retailers to establish themselves because no longer are they typing into google and i say they're they're using ppc or whatever or seo in order to get high on google and to get ranked and to be in the sponsored content they need to now become discoverable on instagram how are you going to do that instagram released some research they found that 80 percent of the time of their users is spent on the discovery page of instagram which is absolutely huge now how are you going to get on that discovery mm. page for each consumer is going to be different because of the algorithm so i think what what you need to do is you need to make sure you are discoverable and by that i mean making sure that you're tagging your photos correctly you're using the right hashtags you're using the right keywords so i think that everything that you would do as a brand normally on say google for seo and ppc you're going to now need to do on the social platforms and make sure you're using those keywords that you would use on google to get high in the rankings on instagram mm. and in the form of hashtags in order to make sure that you're discoverable and linking to kind of what you your users are already looking for on social or I don't know say they say they follow uh, Topshop make sure that all the other high street brands are appearing on the discovery phase by checking what what their competitors are doing to make sure that if your if your target customer is following Topshop make sure that River Island adopts kind of similar to what they're doing so that they they come up on the on the discover page so that your shopper will then find them amazing do you find that and i'd be interested to hear from both of your perspectives do you find that the sort of if you choose a sort of search orientated strategy versus say a social discovery strategy if that's what we're going to call it the sort of time between um search or for seeing it and purchase is there any difference there do you guys do you guys think I think it depends on the product. So, for example, if I know that I want to go and buy something, I would probably search it. I would probably, maybe for want of not wanting to talk about them, probably go onto Amazon and search directly if I knew that I wanted, I don't know, I wanted a kettle. Mm. I knew I wanted a kettle, off I go. It's it's more of a utilitarian, a functional product. If I thought, oh, I fancy a new blouse to go out this weekend, I don't know what I specifically want. Maybe I would fish through Instagram, mm. see what's on there. So I think that it totally depends on what, what, what your purchase intention is and what the product is that you're wanting to buy whether you're going to do a search orientated um, search or you're going to look for inspiration before your purchase. It made me think of um, recently I was moving flat and I searched for man in a van or man with a van. Yeah. And it's it's amazing actually seeing, you know, every single company on the whole first page of Google is some variation, manwithavan.co.uk, manwithavanlondon.co.uk, manwithavan.com in yeah. London, you know, yeah. forward slash London. And it's really interesting, you know, I'm not going to go on Instagram to find a man with a van no, I? So, exactly. and nobody I mean is an influencer gonna tout the man in the van that they had move their house probably not but I like the instant feedback because whenever I need something now I just post it on my Instagram stories and I get mm. feedback from yeah, my absolutely. like immediate community so I'm not even going through the search process mm. anymore I'm just going through my immediate friends because I like that kind of personal recommendation oh so like asking you know have any of you used the man in the van tell yeah, me exactly oh interesting exactly okay. so I'm not I'm, I'm cutting out the middleman. I mean Google being the middleman. yeah I'm 
cutting them out. I'm going straight to kind of my friends. Even though they're not actual influencers, you're you're asking for recommendations from a peer. So they're influencing your decision. So again, back to this whole influencers micro niche, you might not call them that because they're your peers. But actually, instead of searching for something, you're asking for recommendations. You're asking for an influence. So yeah. that's just showing that that how, how, how it's going in terms of search and inspiration for purchase. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the challenges that arise in, in thinking about social and, and the power of influence. So, you know, in marketing, we talk a lot about multi-channel, omni-channel strategies. And one of the big sort of discussions is always how do you keep that consistency across all your different channels and across the customer journey? Mm-hmm. And I can imagine, you know, if you've got an influencer talking about something, of course, you're going to maybe give them some guidelines or some, you know, maybe it'd be nice to use this language or whatever, but that might feel quite different from what the customer then gets in the shop. So how do brands sort of manage that consistency when you're using either your user generated content or micro influencers? Um, that is essentially giving the first impression of the brand that the customer is going to hope to fulfill later on. Um, Stacey, let's start with you. I mean, I think uh, consistency when you're working with influencers, I think having them a part of the creative process and knowing what they stand for is is in the very start of the selection process. So making sure that you're choosing influencers that emulate what your brand stands for and you have a sense of trust that uh what they're going to say is reflective of your brand. Uh, When it comes to look and feel, I think uh, specifically on channels, we need to be quite flexible in in, uh, emulating what the channel behavior is rather than what your brand needs to stand for. I know um, uh, working on TikTok and and looking at how people are using that as a platform, brands are really uh, trying to push like these challenges on, on Gen Z, but actually you need to work with the influencers to see how people are going to engage, how people are going to start to um, uh, emulate or memify uh, what you're doing on that channel. So I think it's less about the integrity of what your brand looks like these days, but adopting an ethos and a tonality that really reflects what you stand for. Um, I think it's really important specifically in the creative process to give that kind of collaborative process because again, that's what's going to drive authenticity. I suppose it's also the choice of influencers too, making sure that, you know, because they they have a brand in and of themselves. Exactly. And how they come across. So, And I think the influencers that really have stood the test of time have been those ones that have kept that creative integrity. They're only working with brands that really reflect who they are. And that way you, you start to build that trust because their network really trusts what they're recommending. And then, you know, you're working with them and you know that is something that they would integrate easily within their life. We talk about balance strategy a lot at Wonderman Thompson Commerce and that's obviously selling selling through say like marketplaces retailers brands and then more recently social as a as a as a touch point and obviously creating a seamless journey across this omnichannel experience is going to be hard it's, it's complex there's so many different touch points there's in-store there's there's offline there's online there's social there's influencers there's users it's it is going to be really difficult and I think the one thing that we often say and I think that's really important is clarity is key you need to be transparent across everything when whether that's working with influencers whether that's working with your retailers whether that's working with marketplaces and the likes of Amazon because you need to make sure that you create this joint experience for the customer because you want to make sure that you are you are experiencing the brand consistently across all channels when I was at university actually I did a bit of um, research into Burberry um, and I kind of analyzed their digital strategy but something that I found really interesting even though I was just focusing on digital is that their um, in-store um experience in their flagship store emulates what exactly what they do online so 
whilst as a user you might not necessarily go in there and be like oh my god it looks like their website because obviously you're probably not going to do that they have tried to incorporate everything that they do on their website in their on in their offline experience and i think that's really great because you're giving your customer what they want when they want and kind of how they want it across all different touch points and i think that's super important because friction is a huge kind of turn off for lots of customers and I don't know about you, but if I'm going across the kind of shopping journey online, I get all the way to the basket and then it kind of like freezes or it does something. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to try a different channel. And then you've lost me. So like they, we've caused cart abandonment. And I think that's really, really bad for retailers. So addressing these friction points, whilst it might, might be easier said than done, is really important. So I think clarity and transparency from the offset is going to help kind of combat these issues. And you can see that a lot with kind of new economy brands like, you know, Chili Bottles or Uber. They really understand that consumer journey. So they are creating the seamless experience based on kind of customers and and uh, how where their pain points are coming up. But then you've got these big corporations that, you know, are structurally not set up for that agile experience and a seamlessly connected um, experience itself. Uh, that's where I think they... that you know, they're coming undone because customers, you know, are going to walk away from these brands. Uh, We know that uh, research says that they expect that kind of consistency. I think it's 75% of consumers say they want these consistent experiences across multiple channels. Um, And if they don't give them to them, these younger brands are going to come in and they're going to solve it for them. Yeah. Let's um, let's build a little bit on, on what you were saying there around um, what people are expecting, but I think also inherent in that, and we've, we've touched on already with the discussion around influencers, is trust. Uh-huh. And um, so we've already spoke about this idea of, uh, you know, trusting the influencer and trusting that, you know, they're doing things in a way that's the, suitable for their audience and making sure the brand is having a good relationship with them. What's the risk for the brand if the influencer does something that the brand is not happy to be associated with, maybe after you've already joined in with them? You know, is there an issue around reputation that comes um, and I work with influencers. It's all about choosing the it's choosing the right influencer. And if you're going to work with influencers, you need to think about it really carefully. It's not just something that you can kind of think of one day when you wake up and be like, cool, let's let's partner with an influencer because mm. everybody else is. Actually, they are becoming the face of your brand. You're letting a third party sell your products, represent your brand. Like this is huge. This is this is like saying, oh, I want a mattress brand saying, oh, I want Dreams to sell my 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 mattress. Okay, that's it's a bit different because they're a retailer, but actually it's exactly the same because they are another third party that you're letting into your your offering. So actually, I think you I think what you need to say is, well, slow down. If you want to do influencers, that's great. We we see we see influencers uh, having lots of kind of influence, lots of power. But you really need to think about it. You really need to consider who it is that you're choosing. Do a bit of background research. Are they actually gonna? going to adhere to your brand guidelines but you need to let them have some creativity as well because there's no point taking an influencer who stands for kind of x and like molding them into stand for mm. standing for y because then that is inauthentic and consumers are super savvy nowadays if they're gonna if they think that something is wrong or sense that something is wrong they're just gonna switch off and that also brings me on to something i wanted to mention that if you even though you these influencers might do something wrong it's not just about that but it's also about these influencers that say have a fake following as well that is they haven't actually done something wrong in the public eye but actually having a fake following is doing something wrong they're either paying for these people to follow them to look like they've got this huge following or actually they're they're inauthentically promoting products just like you mentioned earlier with lauren goodyear but you're you're promoting this product that you might never have even heard of you don't even know what it is Mm -hmm. you, you don't even use the brand um so i think that's that's really bad as well the 
the challenge for brands is identifying who the real ones are versus the fake ones. And, and I don't think I have an answer for that. I don't think anyone really has a full answer for that. I think it's just about being careful in the selection process and really thinking about who it is you're choosing to become the face of your brand. Because if it goes wrong, it, it could end very badly. I think it's that sort of dual responsibility, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if you're a brand and you have a budget and you want to invest in influencers, uh, you know, you're creating an outlet as well for those people in the same way that they're creating an outlet for your brand. And I suppose it's that dual responsibility of going, are we happy to essentially heighten the the sort of reputation of this individual on social media by associating with Gucci, for instance, which is obviously going to massively help them yeah. and vice versa. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's not just a case of, you know, influencers being like, oh, I'm not going to work with Goop because it's pseudoscience or whatever. It's also brands going, well, actually, I don't, I'm not sure about that, the behaviour of that individual, and I don't want to give them more of a platform than they already have, right? It's not just commerce at the end of the day here is responsibility too. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about data. Um, how can brands use data better? I mean, this is a, the big question, the golden question, I suppose, yeah. the, the, the holy grail of, of, of MarTech nowadays, but particularly in terms of um, influencer power, and driving those purchase decisions how can data be better used well i think data can be used a kind of across the board really so obviously you could use data to better to better choose your influencers you can you can see what their profile is, what their engagement is, how many followers they have, identify kind of how much impact they're having in terms of kind of conversion and engagement. Uh, but also you can you can use it to kind of assess your um, behaviour of your consumers. So how they're working, what they're actually looking for on social channels, what are they following? That can You can then use that data to create more personalised experiences, choose the right influencer, but actually serve them the correct content as well. Because if you're using your data correctly, you're going to understand the kind of behaviour profile of your, of your customer and, and serve them the ads or the content that they want to see and that they'll become engaged with not content that they're just going to going to swipe through because when you're on social channels it's 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 when you when you you get on your phone don't you and you just kind of swipe through you need to be able to capture your audience so you need to use your data right in order to understand what it is that is going to capture their attention love it anything you want to add stacy and i think um I think what we're finding quite difficult within agencies is the influencer selection process. So obviously um, there's kind of partnership teams which hold these like relationships when it comes to celebrities and talent management. But when we're looking for the micro influencers, we're really relying on the data tools to allow us to identify who has authority within these groups. So how we're using it is, is kind of giving us that information that we don't necessarily have. We haven't got a department that is running these relationships and we're able to identify people who are interested in x topic and who holds the authority within um, the social space so i think what data is doing is it's helping us with the selection process but it's also helping us identify trending conversations that are happening in real-time conversations that we can react to and then maybe plug in an influencer to um, act on behalf of the brands or speak on behalf of the brands so i think it alleviates kind of that selection process and that relationship building um, and it gives us a way to not necessarily have to tap into third parties to um, build these relationships and start to uh, grow them in-house. Let's round off with a little bit of practical advice because I, I imagine there'll probably be a lot of people listening to this podcast being like, uh, maybe they're already working with influencers and mm -hmm. wanting to get more from it or maybe um, brands that don't yet work with influencers and trying to work out whether they should. Um, so maybe let's start with that second group. 
influencer-led strategy isn't going to work for all brands. I mean, we've kind of touched on this, but how would you advise brands who are in that process of trying to decide whether they should jump in both feet first? Well, I think influencers are going to be a vital part and a vital component of marketing strategy going forward. So I think that having an influencer strategy is really important. You just need to, as you say, make sure it's the right one. I think the first question to ask is, what do you want to use these influencers for? Because I think that's then going to be able to guide you into who you're going to choose so are you going to want them to get leads generation are you are you wanting them for conversion or are you wanting them for awareness or are you wanting them to get to get your consumers to purchase so for example if you're wanting them for awareness then maybe using the micro influencers isn't going to get you that big bang pr story you're going to need to use the likes of the kardashians to get that awareness if you're wanting people to purchase your products you might want these micro influencers so obviously that johnson and johnson example i mentioned earlier that's probably might not get you the awareness because even when I looked at it I was like I don't know who these influencers are but actually their conversion rate and their purchase rate of their products was then huge because you're resonating with your audience so I think an influencer strategy is twofold really it's if you want awareness think about who that's going to be if you're wanting lead generation it's probably going to be slightly different and it needs to be a, a more targeted to your audience so I think that is kind of number one when when looking for an influencer-led strategy and obviously that's going to be different depending on what brand you're going to be love it um stacy thinking about social a little bit more broadly yeah um, what sort of advice would you give brands that are sort of saying i want to make social work much harder for us I think what's quite interesting, uh, not to make it political, but to make it political, is what's happening in the political space and how they're using social. Um, there was a campaign uh, run by Sean Tomham and uh, Ben Goran uh, in Australia for the right wing coalition. And their whole approach to social marketing was kind of these lo-fi ads that just tapped into uh, popular culture moments like Game of Thrones, using Comic Sans, really like uh, very easy, quick content. I think clients have this perception that they need to emulate what they're doing on TV or what they're doing on billboards and this really polished product. But actually, it's about beating the algorithm and about really understanding what is engaging your audience. So looking at kind of that comms message to be really simple, to uh, lend yourself onto trending topics to be engaging to your um, customers. So I think what we can learn from political campaigns is that it can be very lo-fi. Um, you have to draw drive home a very uh, one-dimensional message sometimes and you need to be able to beat the algorithm so how are you able to uh, build up that engagement so that when you have something really important to say when you have that polished campaign that you want to push out that your audience is actively listening so it's really about emulating the behavior that we're seeing on these channels and making sure that it's a uh, really consumer centric um, not to say you need to let go of your brand but you know test and learn you know put something out there and see if it sticks. Um, I know a lot of clients are, are, are really um, nervous to do that because it's a public space, but it's moving at such a fast pace that, you know, yesterday's news, no one really remembers if it's a single post on Facebook. So yeah, get a bit creative and, and be a bit risky because uh, you really just want to be able to beat that algorithm and, and uh, gain uh, kind of th thumb stopping content on the newsfeed itself. I've got one final question for you guys. We talked earlier on about 
examples of brands that were doing interesting influencer um, strategy and marketing but sometimes it's quite hard to, to find that you put in the brand and you're not going to find all the influencers so I would love to hear just some of your favourite influencers people who you think are working in a really interesting way with brands that are interesting to follow in and of themselves that maybe would be a nice uh, way to go research this whole influencer thing so we'll start with you for want of not saying that I watch a lot of uh, trashy TV <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that the influencers that the likes of Miss guided in the style and pretty little thing um harness so from reality tv shows actually do it really well because each influencer is is kind of different and it shows their lifestyles and even though they are high profile celebs now so the likes of say molly may or maybe people from the only way is essex or made in chelsea although maybe our, their lifestyle isn't fully attainable you can relate to them in kind of some ways. And interestingly, I was scrolling through my uh, news feed and I think it's because I watched uh, Sam and Billy Fair's The Mummy Diaries on ITV. One of their kind of um, sponsored ads came up from Carex, which was obvi- is obviously soap, which they u- they are using and they're obviously ambassadors for, but with their kids. And I thought, you know what, that's that's actually like quite nice. It's quite, you're, you're not just plugging, plugging lots of fashion, but you're actually plugging lots of different brands. So actually, I do think that brands who are using these reality stars are actually doing really well because lots of people are watching these tv shows lots of people can resonate with them probably a little bit more than they can resonate with the likes of the kardashians because obviously maybe their lifestyle is definitely not attainable but those of of say the lower level celebrities probably are so i think they would be the ones that i say to watch out for about you stacy um, I mean, when I think about influencers that I like, uh, Casey Neasset, I mean, he's so old school. He started, um, you know, vlogging back in the day and um, he might be a little bit outdated now, but I think that, you know, he's really tapped into kind of that authenticity and a, uh, a voice that is very well trusted. Then from kind of the fashion side, we were what, what's kind of interesting about her journey is watching her being kind of a pure influencer to now a businesswoman. So we're following these influencers uh, journeys um, and the evolution of their careers in and of itself, that's becoming quite aspirational. It's giving, you know, people the idea that they can do it too, um, that they can keep integrity with working with brands. Um, And then I've got a really random influencer that I I follow on Instagram. Her name's Heather McMahon. She is a comedian. And what's super interesting about her, I followed her when she had maybe like 20,000 fans and now she's on like I don't know, maybe a million or something like that. And she kind of reverse engineers working with brands. So she starts talking about things that she loves and then the brands are approaching her. So I think it's about listening to who's talking about your brand and is there a natural fit for your brand to come and work with them? They might not be these kind of shiny influences, but if you discover them early in their journey, you could grow with them. And I show, I think that shows a lot of integrity from a brand's perspective, but also tapped into kind of what's culturally relevant at the time. Amazing guys, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Cognified podcast. You can follow us at Cognified on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram or visit us at Cognified.com. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss next month's episode of The Experience Makers where we'll continue the conversation helping businesses thrive in today's experience economy.